I want to welcome everybody to BibleQuest.tv, our Tuesday edition. We're glad that you are joining us, whether you're coming in from the uh, app, from BibleQuest.tv, or coming in through uh, Stephen's Facebook page. We're very happy you're here. And let me bring in the uh, panelists. We have Jeff Smeltzer in Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Drew, and everyone. I'm glad you're able to make it. We know you're getting ready to leave for a trip tomorrow, and you're taking your time out from your busy prep day to join us. We're glad you're able to be here. Uh, Scott Smeltzer, who is our program director down in um, Gettysburg. Scott, how are you doing? Uh, doing very well, Drew. How are you doing today? Uh, doing fantastic. Thank you. And also Stephen Rouse, formerly from Gettysburg, now up in Harrisburg, right? Yes, that's correct. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Stephen, they come in on comments on your Facebook page. Just give us that information. Yep. If you're uh, joining us live on my uh, Facebook page, please feel free to leave your questions and comments in the comment section below. And we'll take those as quickly as we can get to them. And if you're coming in from the app, obviously you get that from BibleQuest.tv. You use the Q&A button. Little window up and type away your questions, or if you want to come in and let us hear you using audio, your computer audio, just click the little hot uh, hand icon. Let us know you're interested in talking to us live. Also, Jonathan is our webcast engineer. Hi, Jonathan. How you doing? Doing really well. Good to see you guys. Good to see you too. Um, let's see. We have a few things on the plate today, but. Uh, I want to share with you something that happened on Sunday um, up here in Honesdale. I'm your host, by the way, Drew, up in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And um, I want to share with you, I, I'm not hesitating, just I wasn't expecting to share it, but you guys wanted me to bring this up, the story, what happened went Sunday. I, I've never experienced anything like this, so I want to share it with you. Uh, we're, it's worth sharing. I'm sorry, what's that? It's worth sharing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we had a family that's been worshiping with us uh, for several months now and, and uh, very loyal and faithful to ser- coming to services and very you know, knowledgeable in Scripture, especially the Old Testament. They've been coming. And Sunday they come in. And Rod, not Rod, Ted, they sit down. Ted says, Drew, something like, he said, Drew, we need to get baptized. We want to get baptized. What do we do? And all three of them wanted to be baptized. It was Ted, his wife, Judy, and their uh, son, who's in the mid-20s, Eric. I said, fine. And we started saying, okay, where are we going to go? Because we don't have a baptistry. Uh, We we rent the small meeting room over there in the firehouse, local firehouse. And so I said, well, we can go down to one of these other congregations. I'm sure there's a congregation that we can borrow their baptistry from. We'll drive down, you know, whatever it was, 20 miles or so. Oh, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a river. We can go into Dyeberry Creek right up here. It said, doesn't matter, wherever. You go wherever we Let's go wherever we want. So I'm now getting excited. And others said, you know, we can go to the river right in the back. we got a river right outside of our building. And, uh, okay, that's cool. Then Gary, Gary Gerber worships with us on Sunday. Uh, hold on a second. I forgot to turn off my phone. Anyway. <laughs> I thought that was me for a second. Oh, no. So Gary, he says, Gary, they, Gary and Carol live down on Lake Wallapalpac, about 20 minutes away. He said, why don't you come down to the house? We'll go right in the lake. I said, oh, great, fantastic. So we were going to do that. Everyone's excited. We have our worship service. We had our, our Bible study. We went head straight down there without 
We're not even going to the restaurant to get anything. It went right down there. We get down there. Gary says, uh, well, we got two possibilities. possibilities. We can go to the lake where we have the, the slip, or we can go over to the uh, cove area where it might be a little bit you know, more private. Let me go check it out. So he goes, takes his little four-wheeler thing down there, goes out. We're getting ready, get our uh, bathing suits and everything on. And he comes back and he says, let's, uh, let's go down to the cove. Okay. He said, it's a little private there. There's less people there and it'll be nicer. Okay. So we walk down there and as we're walking down there, I'm getting close. We're all getting closer to the water. And I see across the cove, maybe 40, 50 feet tops. There's a boat across the cove. I'm not sure if it was a boat or a deck. I think it was a boat. Not paying much attention. It was about eight, seven or eight people on the boat. Okay, so we go into the water. I go in first, and then uh, Judy, Ted's wife, she comes into the water first to be baptized. And uh, so I, I you know, go through the, ask her if she believes Jesus is the Son of God. And she says, yes, I do. And it's by the authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I baptize you for the forgiveness of sins. And so we go down to the water. She comes up. And as she comes up, I hear the applause. You know, that's good. We'd like to hear applause. That's a great thing to applaud for. Applause coming from where? Well, I looked and noticed, well, the brethren was about 10 feet away from me on the shore. I don't think I saw them applauding, so maybe it was coming from the boat. But, again, I'm involved with this, so I didn't pay much attention to it. <laughs> but good, good question. So then Eric, the son, their son, comes in the water. Same thing, baptize Eric, and as he's coming up, the applaud, I hear this applaud again. And now I know it's not coming from the shore, though some of us are. It's coming from that boat of strangers. I said, that's cool. <laughs> By this time, though. That or angels in heaven rejoicing. One of actually, we know the angels in heaven rejoicing. We just can't hear them, right? That's right. Maybe it was them I was hearing. But anyway, so in the corner of my eye, I noticed someone swimming it. Across from the boat, you know, it looked like someone jumped in and was swimming over to, to the shore, to our side of the cove. Again, didn't pay much attention to it. And then Ted comes in, and he, we go through the whole procedure there, and we baptize Ted. He comes up, and everybody's now applauding. Now, I'm applaud, everyone's applauding. And as Ted is walking out of the water, this gentleman who swam over to the shoreline is now walking toward me in the water. We're waist deep. He comes up to me and he said, sir, would you please baptize me? <laughs> Guy from the boat. Yes. Wow. I said, I, I was, what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> he said, I've been studying the Bible since I was 13 years old. He looked like he was in his mid-20s. My father said, I got to find somebody. I got to go, go get baptized. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know anything about where to go get baptized or how to do it. I just knew I had to do it. I, had to, I was reading it and studying it ever since then, and now I know I've got to do it. And he said, sir, just a little while ago, we were talking, I was talking with my girlfriend and my, my, my girlfriend's mother about Jesus. And we're talking about the Lord. And all of a sudden, I see you come into the water, and you start baptizing people. I had to get over there. That's fantastic. That is so awesome. And so, so he's... We, we baptized him. So I, I asked him, I, I was thinking of the eunuch, you know, what prevents me from not, not... Well, do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God? Yes, I do. We baptized him. Guy, I, I, guys, I've been numb ever since. I, I'm thinking of Mark 1, and Drew came, who baptized in the wilderness, and there went out unto him all the country of New York. <laughs> <laughs> so I just find it so... 
amazed in the way the Lord works. The Rosencrans, they pick that Sunday to decide to obey Christ, to obey the gospel. And Gary suggested his home, and he could have picked one or two locations. But the Lord knew our hearts. He knew who needed to be involved, and we just we just did what we do. We nothing miraculous. We just went and did what we do. I, I'm totally blown away, and, and um, I'm glad you asked me to go ahead and share that story. Yeah, well, that's an exciting story. It is. It's a very encouraging story. There are people out there who read their Bibles, and they are not finding what they're reading in the Bible. They're not finding that in the religious world that they know, and they're looking for a connection between what they're reading in the Bible and people today who are following that. And so that, that's an encouraging thing to see that happen. Very Let me share real quickly two uh, things kind of along that line. Um, Dan Kane, a uh, friend of ours, had been over in Sierra Leone and studying with a number of preachers, and but limited time in the weeks he was there. And he was feeling challenged by the fact that there's so much he wanted to teach, but he didn't have time to teach everything he wanted to teach. So instead of focusing on what he would teach, he just focused on equipping them and encouraging them to get into the Word, because that's where the answers need to come from, from Scripture. He came back to uh, Massachusetts and was in a discussion with a fellow who asked him, you know, how, how, how to become a Christian or how to be saved. And Dan did something very interesting. He said, get your Bible and turn to the book of Acts and read it and, and take some notes and then, then get back in touch. It was like a week later, he called Dan and he said, I'm ready to be baptized. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I get tired of sometimes people say, well, that's, that's, your, that's your interpretation. No, that wasn't Dan's interpretation. <laughs> he encouraged the guy to get in the Word, and he, he did. Uh, and then his wife notices what's going on in his life. She asks about it, and he was able to say, get your Bible and read the book of Acts. <laughs> <laughs> Take some notes. Uh, and I remember one time in uh, Eastern Europe, in Prague, not long after the wall came down, I was studying with a woman, and uh, it's, it's a country where more people believed in you in space aliens than believed in God. But a lot of the people believed in God it was from a Roman Catholic standpoint in immersion. Would have, I mean, baptism to then was the sprinkling that you do with the baby and everything. And then there were evangelical misunderstandings there as well. And after we'd studied the problem of sin and after we'd studied the solution of, of Christ, we got to our response and we were going over baptism in some detail, and she asked why we were focusing on that so much. I said, well, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, baptize for other purposes and modes, not, not in a biblical way. And she pointed out why she was baptized. And on the paper that was from, she pointed out how it's baptized, you know, by immersion as a believer, not as a baby, and for the forgiveness of my sins, not Adam's. And she said, I knew that uh, where I was going, they didn't teach that. So I, I asked my friend to baptize me in my bathtub. And, it's a, you know, when people are looking, they can, they can do. But I, I just I appreciate you sharing that with us, Drew. I was excited when I heard that this morning. And it's just really powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, was, I praise the Lord for, for his mercy and his grace. 
But, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that leads us to this first question, too, uh, which relates to salvation. And this question here comes up with, how are we to understand how those of the Old Testament times who lived by faith were or will be saved? I have heard lessons where it is said Abraham, Moses, Noah, and others will be saved, that Jesus' blood flows backwards. But I, I would like to better understand this concept. I, I do not question that with God all things are possible. Perhaps this is just one of those things that we uh, that we do not fully know. And this comes from Carrot. So, guys, why don't we uh, address that question? Yeah, we've got two main passages in the New Testament that address this very concept. So what would one of those passages be? Romans 3. Romans 3, yep. Take us there, Jeff. All right, so turning over to Romans 3, and keep in mind that the, the point Paul is driving home is justification by faith. And it's kind of interesting in the context, as he argues we are justified by faith. He goes back to a precedent for this. Abraham was justified by faith. In Romans chapter 4, he argues that. Notice, he's talking about how we today, after the cross, are justified, and he appeals to how somebody before the cross was justified. And it's in, it's in both cases by faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying here that all you have to do is believe you don't have to do anything. No, that's not the point. But fundamentally, justification is by faith. And so he argues in Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. Uh, let's start in verse 25, where he's talking about the fact that whether Jew or Gentile, we've all sinned, but we can be justified by grace the grace that is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to show his righteousness, that means God's righteousness, in the, in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, God's righteousness is being demonstrated because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God. So, In Old Testament times, before Christ, God, in a sense, had passed over sins. Man continued to to exist, even though he was guilty of sin. So where is the righteous God who's going to call man to account or who's going to deal with those sins? Well, here he is in Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, and that, that sacrifice is the atonement for the sins that God was passing over aforetime. Verse 26, for the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he might himself be just and the justifier of him that has faith in Jesus. So so you have this idea of Jesus' death on the cross looking backwards as well as forwards and his blood being applied, those of faith before and after the cross. And in going into chapter 4, as you noted, it talked about the principle of faith being important back with Abraham. And in verse 6, the principle of needing forgiveness of sin recognized by David, even as David also pronounces blessing upon the man unto whom God reckons righteous apart from work, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. And this doesn't mean that David understood everything about how sin would be atoned for. The apostles didn't even understand how sin was going to be atoned for as it was happening. Uh, But people of faith putting their trust in God was what they were supposed to do. There's another passage that addresses the same issue. Where is that? Well, before you go to that next point, I just, I've heard people 
state the idea that like, oh, well, there wasn't really forgiveness in the Old Testament, that God just kind of rolled the sins forward and, and they weren't really forgiven until the moment Jesus dies on the cross. And I think that this passage in Romans 4 helps kind of answer that because here's David writing, you know, around a thousand years before Jesus even comes saying, blessed is the man, uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Um, and this whole idea of Jesus' blood is what forgives people even under the Old Testament, that there was forgiveness in the Old Testament. Yeah, I, I think the point to keep in mind here is that in Old Testament times, God, who is not constrained by time, he knows what he's going to do in Jesus Christ. Uh, he does not have to wait for that to happen in our time in order for him to count somebody justified by Jesus Christ. And it is not the best analogy, but maybe if you think of it this way, if you put something on a credit card, you know, this month, and then at the end of the month, you pay it off, you were righteous, you were just, you, you, you paid, that was owed. And if you had a balance on that credit card going into the future, then that payment is there uh, that's been made previously. So when Jesus died on the cross, you didn't have to be, I mean, the thief, is forgiven, you know, as he's dying with Jesus the same day. You didn't have to live at the moment Jesus died to gain from his blood. People who have lived since gain from his blood. People who lived before gain from his blood. And uh, let's take a look at the passage in Hebrews. Where does the book of Hebrews address the same concept? Um... Well, we're all sitting here quietly, Scott, because none of us know where you're going in Hebrews, or at least I don't. Hebrews 9. Which chapter? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9. So in verse 11, it talks about Christ having become a high priest of the good things to come, etc. Verse 12, not through the blood of bulls and goats, uh, or of goats and calves. And later in 10, he'll point out that those things couldn't actually take away sin which I think goes to what Stephen mentioned. People were forgiven, but sin had not been fully atoned for. You, you, you had the animal sacrifices, but as Hebrews 10 says, that, that's not going to ultimately take away sin. So in Leviticus, yes, it said you'll be forgiven, and they're forgiven. But the, the true atonement will come with the blood of Christ. And so coming down to verse 15, for this cause he is the mediator of a new covenant, that a death having taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant. They that have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So Jesus' death is also for those under the first covenant. It really is an amazing concept when you think about God's plan, um, that even before he gave the law of Moses, even before he said, here's what I want the sacrifices to be like, he knew in his own mind what he was going to do through Jesus. And he gives these Old Testament sacrifices to remind the people of sins year after year after year, knowing that those animal sacrifices will never atone for their sins. But he's still forgiving their sins because of the sacrifice that is to come. And that the cross is the centerpiece of history. Um, all of the sins that were committed before the cross that God has forgiven are forgiven by the blood of Jesus and all the sins up to this day that are being forgiven are forgiven 
by the blood of Jesus. And that's just a beautiful thing to step back and look at God's plan uh, and how the cross is the centerpiece of God's forgiveness. It's, Wait, it's, go ahead, Drew. Well, and so it's the blood of Jesus that we need to then have a relationship with or come in contact with, or yeah. how, how do we connect with a blood that dried up because it's 2000 years ago. So we need to somehow now get connected with that blood guys. Well, and the, the penalty was paid. I mean, all we like sheep have gone astray, uh, each to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, the iniquity of us all. So Jesus was dying for David's sin with Bathsheba. Jesus was dying for Moses when in anger he didn't honor God and, and struck the rock. Jesus was dying for the rotten things that you and I have done. So he paid that penalty and said it is finished. And, and that atonement was finished. That redemption was finished. There was still to be the resurrection, which leaves him uh, <laughs> ultimately exalted to the right hand of God as our intercessor and high priest. But the way we respond to it today is what Jesus said. Jesus told the apostles to go out and, and baptize people. And so on the day of Pentecost, when after Peter lets them know, you remember the guy, Jesus, that did the miracles when you killed him? God raised him from the dead. Psalm 16 said the Holy One wouldn't stay in the grave. That's not David. That's, that's the Christ. And he said, this Jesus that you killed is him. And he's the one that just poured forth this miracle that you're asking about where did it come from? It came from Jesus. And he ends that section in verse 36. This is Acts 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And, and uh, it's sometimes helpful to just remember, we think of Lord, Christ, and Jesus kind of simultaneously, synonymously. Up to this point, that's not the way a lot of people understood it. Jesus was this guy from Nazareth, who some people believed was a prophet. Some people thought might be the Messiah. Some people claimed he was a blasphemer and a false prophet. But that's Jesus. So when he announces this Jesus that you crucified, God made him Lord and Christ, Messiah, and you killed him. They asked what to do, and we have the answer. Jim. Well, I was just going to, just to to be clear for our viewers, Christ is the New Testament word that is has the same meaning as Messiah. Those two words right. correspond. Messiah was the Old Testament version. So when Scott was saying a moment ago um, that people knew Jesus is this guy from Nazareth, but the question is, is he the Messiah? That's saying the same thing is, is he the Christ? They knew there's right. Christ coming. There's this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. So the idea that those two go together, that Jesus is the Christ, was something they had to be taught that he could demonstrate by the miracles which he did and, and the testimony of John the Baptist and so on. Yeah. I, I, want, I was referring to uh, a more physical sense for us under the New Covenant in the sense that Romans 6, chapter 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We who uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's not a matter of mentally knowing that it's the blood of Christ that saves us. It's something else that needs to be happening. We have to be joined with his death. We have exactly. to become a part of it. And exactly. the passage of so. quote says we're baptized into his death. 
And there in Acts 2, when the people, when he said, you know, this Jesus that you crucified, God made him Lord in Christ, then verse 37 says, they were cut to their heart. This is Acts 2, verse 37. And we'll turn and read it. Uh, if any of our viewers have your Bible open, you can turn to it and see it there. Important text. This is the first gospel sermon after the resurrection. And verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent. And he said, Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of your sins. And this is not complicated, but the world has made it complicated. So many people don't preach that this is a way to respond, but that's exactly what Peter said. He told that now... The people are pricked in their heart. They're cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? This indicates what have they already done. They've already believed and they want yes. to change. Yes. This is why Peter doesn't say what Paul said in Acts 16. When the jailer asked Paul, what should I do? Paul will back up and start with a preceding fundamental step, which is what? Believe. Yeah, like, believe in Jesus. The jailer hasn't heard the word yet. So Paul backs up and says, well, you need to believe in Jesus. Then he preached Jesus to him, and then he was baptized. These people have already heard the word. Peter has finished, or he's gotten to this point in the discourse. He's let them know that Jesus is the Christ that killed him. They believe, they've, and what are some of the reasons that they believe? Just going back through the chapter, what are some of the evidences that would back up Peter's claim? Well, they the miraculous talking in, in the different languages? Is that where you're going? Yeah, that's one of them, which was met why they said earlier in the chapter, how are they doing this? What does this mean? And Peter's sermon answers that question. So th that's one. Hey, a miracle just happened, and you know who did it? The guy that you crucified is not buried here. He rose from the dead, and he's at the right hand of God, and he's the one that poured forth the Spirit. So there's evidence, number one. What other evidence? Well, he, he went back to the 16th Psalm and showed that it was prophesied that the Messiah would be raised from the dead. And then he says, those of us standing up here, the apostles are witnesses that Jesus, this man from Nazareth, has been raised from the dead. And they have credibility in making the claim that they are witnesses of that because, after all, they're the ones that these miracles are associated with. Yeah, yeah. Stephen. Uh, when y'all finish this point, we had a couple of uh, questions come in from viewers. Go ahead and finish. What okay, I'll here. wrap this up quickly. And, and then there's also, he reminded them of the miracles Jesus did. You know, remember Jesus, the guy who did the miracles? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did do those. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and so there's all this evidence, so they already believe. So Peter doesn't start where Paul did with belief. They both get to baptizing them in Christ. But they've heard the word. They believe. And Peter doesn't say, you're done. That's it. He says, repent. And, and somebody just define repentance for us real quickly so we can get to some questions. Change your mind. Change your mind. Yeah. Change, change your mind. Make this decision. Go and serve the Lord. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, which matches Romans 6, which matches so many other, other uh, passages. All right, let's get to some of the questions that just came in. Yeah, some of these are just comments, and it, this goes back to just what we've been talking about, how the sins of the Old Testament and the New Testament are all forgiven 
in Jesus. Emma comments, they couldn't remember Jesus' death when it hadn't happened yet, referring to people in the Old Testament, or see that redemption. But God, in so many ways, like animal sacrifice, Passover, was showing them, I have the power and plan to redeem you. And they were still able to have faith in the power and grace to redeem, even though they didn't get to see the actual moment when all sins were erased. Pretty crazy and amazing. That's that absolutely right. And a BJ commented, uh, yeah, Emma, it's, it's a helpful clarification that deconstructs the false dichotomy of the God of the Old Testament versus God of the New Testament. God has always been a God of mercy. In the Passover feast, the children of Israel uh, were to keep rooted uh, their very identity as a people in the mercy and redemption of God and in the faith that motivated them to follow him out of bondage. Very important point here. Um, and this, uh, this is a point for uh, some of our uh, evangelical Protestant friends to, to think about. I've seen people, and, and you guys have seen people, who really strongly object to the idea that you need to be baptized because, no, no, they would say that would be that you're saving yourself by works, by law, that, that wouldn't be salvation by grace. And, of course, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of a lot of things in the New Testament. But here's a question, and I posed one to one of these fellows one time that was really quite militant on this issue. And I just asked him, people in the Old Testament, what were they saved by? And he had trouble with that. Because in his mindset, we're saved by grace. We, we are saved by grace, yeah. yeah. That's the Bible teaches. But the law existed and then grace came. Yeah, grace came. But how were those people saved? They were also saved by grace. And he had, you could tell he kind of had the idea that the people of the Old Testament had saved themselves by their works. <laughs> but we, which, you know, Romans 3 and Ephesians 2, nobody is going to be justified by law and works. We all need grace. What did David need after his sin? Grace. Grace. You know, what did Isaiah need? What did, what did Noah need? Everybody needs grace. Mm-hmm. And John the Baptist died before seeing, you know, how that grace would come. But he recognized what? Behold the Lamb of God that... Takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, take, not just takes away the sin of the world later, but takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. And when we think about this, the the fundamental thing that God has always asked us to do is to believe, to trust uh, in his plan. Uh, And again, it it goes back in Romans 4 to Abraham, uh, who is justified by faith. And again, this is not a faith-only faith, but a faithful faith. And it goes back to what Abraham did as a result of that faith. But it's interesting that Abraham lived before even the law of Moses. Uh, Abraham wasn't saved by his law-keeping. There wasn't a formal law of Moses yet even to keep. Uh, Abraham was justified faith by faith because he believed God's promises and acted on those promises. People under the law of Moses, like David, were justified by faith when they believed God's promises and acted on those promises. And we, on this side of the cross, can see what God's done to be just and the justifier, and we trust in Jesus and respond in faith to Jesus, repenting of our sins, confessing Jesus as Lord, being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. But at the root of all that is putting our trust in God under whatever covenant people have lived. I like the story uh, that uh, Scott had said 
uh, when someone asks. I want to take. Wait, wait a minute, Scott. I'm sorry. My audio okay? I can hear you. Okay, so anyway, Scott, you were you were talking about yeah. when someone said, "Well, how do you get saved?" or "How how is someone saved?" and and the gentleman said, "Why don't you go read the Book of Acts?" And that's all he said. In Book of Acts, yes. we have, I think it's seven examples of someone becoming a Christian. And every one of those examples, it talks about them being saved and their sins forgiven. Every one of those examples, there are things mentioned. Uh, some of them says faith. Some of them says repentance. Some of them says confess. One says confess. But every one of them does end the story with immersion, being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. With the exception of Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus. It doesn't mention his immersion. Who? Who's Sergius Paulus? Uh, Roman uh, proconsul. Oh, that's right. I didn't even put that in. So that's another uh, example. Very interesting. Which doesn't mean that he wasn't baptized. But, you know, Luke doesn't go into all the details all the time. Um, I want to pull up a chart here and share it if I can. There we go. Share screen. I want to, because we've touched on this. And so if anybody is thinking about this, I want them to see this. So uh, is my screen being shared now? Yes, I can see it. All right, so just notice these passages. In Acts 2.38, the lost people were told to repent and be baptized for what purpose? For the forgiveness of sins. For sins. In Acts 22, verse 16, Saul, three days after the Lord appeared to him, and he's been praying and fasting, and Ananias comes and says what to him in Acts 22.16? Why do you wait? Be baptized. be baptized and wash away your sins. Wash away your sins. Uh, John 3, 5, Jesus says you have to be born again. When Nicodemus says, what do you mean born again? You have to be born of water and of the Spirit. Titus 3, 5, we're not saved by our works done in righteousness. By the way, baptism isn't even something you do. It's something you let be done to you. Um, he said, but by his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Uh, Galatians 3 and Romans 3, as y'all mentioned, puts us into Christ. First Peter 3.21, we're saved at the point of baptism. And this objection that I referred to a few minutes ago when people say, but we aren't saved by our own works. Uh, I like to go through a study of Romans with people, but you don't always have time to do that. And here's a very simple way that answers almost all of the objections that people bring. In 2 Kings 5, what, what was Naaman's problem? What did he have that he couldn't get rid of? Leprosy. Leprosy. Number one, could he save himself? Nope. Did the Lord save him? Yep. How? Was he saved by the grace and power of God or by his own work? By the grace and power of God. Yeah. And if you ask these questions to the people that make objections and say, no, no, you don't have they'll they'll recognize it here. I've never met anybody that said, no, Naaman wasn't saved by the power of grace of God. He was saved by his great dipping. Nobody believes that. Uh, <laughs> he was really good at it. <laughs> everybody admits it was by the grace and power of God. When was he cleansed from his leprosy? After the seventh time that he dipped himself in that pure water of... The, the, the Jordan, when he did what God told him to do, yeah. All right, John 9, the blind man. Could he fix his own problem? No. Did the Lord fix it? Yeah. Lord save him? How? Was it by the power and grace of God or by his own work? 
He's by God's power. And when did he come see? Well, it it wasn't the moment that he thought in his heart. (laughs) It was after he did what the Lord told him. Should anybody have stopped him while he was on the way to going to the pool of Siloam? Should anybody have stopped him? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't trust in that water. You need to just invite Jesus into your heart as your personal sight giver. And, And later... After you've been given sight, you can go do a public testimony sometime. And get, that's not what he did. That's not what he said, Stephen. We just had a comment come in. Uh, it says a surgery patient isn't saved by his own work, but he still has to show up at the hospital and get on the table. <laughs> I like that. Let me make like an observation that. here. One of the things yeah. that people who insist, no, you don't have to be baptized or you'd be trying to be saved by works. One of the things they have in mind is that they think of baptism as an outward ritual only. And so they're real focused on, there has to be an inward change. I want to make this point. In the Bible, there is an inward change. There has to be an inward change. You can call it, they want to say conversion is inward. I'm going to say that's right. We talked about the word repent a moment ago. Repent being change of heart, change of mind. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Here's, Here's what I want you to think about. There's a conversion that takes place before we're baptized. Conversion does take place. If by conversion we mean change, inward change, that takes place before we're baptized. But here's the thing. Conversion, understood as changing, will not save me. If I think that I can be saved because I've changed, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to be saved by my works. Exactly. And that's what these people are doing. They're saying, no, I got, I've changed. I had a conversion. And so I'm saved. If I were baptized, I'd be being saved by works. You're trying to rely on what you did. You're changed. The fact is, what saves us, what takes, you know, I can change, I can start doing good the rest of my life, but that's not going to undo the sins I've committed. That's not going to take away the guilt. What takes away the guilt is not the fact that I've changed. What takes away my sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that I am baptized into Christ's death. So when people want to say, no, it can't be baptism, there's got to be a change. Change then. Yeah. That's yeah. not going to save you. If there's a baptism Christ without change, that's just getting wet. Um, and a change without I, baptism, and a change without baptism is being, is, is, is just changing, but not, yeah, not being forgiven. I want to uh, challenge anybody. Hold, hold on, Scott. Let me challenge anybody that's in the uh, podcast audience that's listening to this later on. If somebody wants to come back and give us some, some feedback on why. This is not the case. We want to hear from you. So go to the website, BibleQuest.tv. Fill out the form and say, hey, guys, this is what, and et cetera, whatever you want to say. Ask us questions. Give us your comments now during the show, the program, or anytime. Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry to interrupt. Good. Oh, uh, no, no problem. A good definition of repentance is Luke 9.23. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, you must deny self. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's a change. That's a decision to do differently. But we also need the forgiveness of our sins. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, this is my blood is poured out for the remission of sins. So the payment's there. When do we come in contact with it? Acts 2, 38, 
repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, coming back here to one more chart to follow up on this John 9 one. Why you pulling that up? I, I, like, I like Emma's comment. She says, I have trouble understanding how saying a specific prayer is less of a work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Go ahead, Scott. I, I've often portrayed if, if uh, uh, say, a Southern Baptist preacher and I go out and go door knocking, and we knock on a man's door, and he's standing there with his whiskey and his, and his drugs and porn playing in the back, and we start talking to him, and he says, well, I know I'm going to hell, you know, and yeah, I know I should obey Jesus, but I haven't done it yet. Neither of us think he's okay. If we ask him, do you believe there's a God? The answer would be yes. Otherwise, why does he think he's going to hell? Uh, does he believe Jesus is the Christ? Yes. That's why he said he knows he should obey Jesus, but he, he hasn't wanted to. Neither of us think he's already okay. And the other fellow is going to say, here's a prayer. And if you say this prayer, you're saved. And what I'm going to tell him is what Peter said, repent and be baptized the forgiveness of your sins. So finishing up these charts, and I'll stop the screen share. Naaman had a problem. He wasn't saved by works. He was saved by the grace of God when he did what God told him to do, which in that case was what? Dip in the River Jordan seven yeah. times. The blind man, same thing, and he came seeing after he did what? When and he- so finally, Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He had a lot of sin. Could he save himself from his sin? No. Nope. Did the Lord save him? Yep. Yeah. How? Was Paul saved by the grace and power of God or by his own work and power? Power of God. When were his sins washed away? When, when he did. Upon the name of the Lord and buried, was buried in baptism. Yeah. Stephen, your hand was up. Yeah, we had another comment uh, in responding to Emma's comment. It said, true, any manifestation of my faith is going to be a work in that sense, in the sense that just trusting in some reaction of ours to actually save us. Uh, only the blood of Jesus can save us. He says, I'm basically just replacing God's preferred method of manifesting that faith with my own. And that's really true. Is, is There's the means of salvation, which is the blood of Jesus. And then there are conditions that God has placed on receiving that salvation, including believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, confessing Jesus as Lord with your mouth, and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and repenting of those sins. Um, and again, we can swap around and say, oh, well, you have to pray this prayer, but ultimately uh, we have to respond in the way that God showed us to respond in the scriptures. I was accused uh, at least one time that oh, I'm hung up on this thing called baptism. I, I just got to hang up on it. How would you answer that? One more time. I, I've got a hang-up on the bat. I'm, I'm talking about baptism where most denominations don't even bring it up. Because I bring it up, I've got a hang-up on it. I'm, so I'm, if, you, if you're talking oh, to somebody who doesn't want to turn from his sins and you keep talking about what the Bible says about repenting and you turn to the various passages repeatedly that command repentance, he's going to think you have a hang-up uh, on repentance. You're just hung up on this repentance thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But you see... It's the person that says that who's got the hang-up. Yeah, Naaman, when Naaman came, and he was prepared to buy his healing. He had a, he had a lot of wealth with him to give the prophet. He had a couple of barrel, uh, wheelbarrows full of money. 
And uh, that's not what the prophet's interested in. He says, go over there and, and dip in the river Jordan. In fact, he didn't even go out to see him. And Naaman thought, behold, I thought, you know, he would do this. He would come out. He would you know, uh, make this show and, and, and do this. And he went away in a huff. What did uh, Naaman's servant say? Well, before that, didn't he say, hey, I could go into this. I can go into the Great Nile. Oh, yeah, yeah. How yeah, would yeah. I lower my Better rivers than that. Yeah. So this was not impressive. This was going to require Naaman to humble himself. He didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to pay for it. He could take all his gold and silver, whatever he brought, back with him. And and humble himself, himself. Humble himself by yielding to the instruction from God. Amen. And what he expected. He had a hang up. He didn't want to humble himself. And even like you see the the arrogance, even in the, you know, I'm not gonna do it in that river, you know. And then his servant said, if he'd asked you to some, do some great thing, what you have done, which would have appealed to his rock. Ego. Pride. You know, look what I'm going to accomplish. And that helped. No, he just needed to humble himself. So he's the one that had the hang up. When the servant continued talking to him about going and dipping in the river after the prophet had already talked about it, was the servant having a hang up on it? He's, he's encouraging Naaman to do what God said. Well, guys, you really have uh, a passion for this subject. I'm really glad we had a question come in. I want to hear more about it. I'm hoping that this generates more people asking more questions. We want people to ask us questions so we can address them next next time. Um, we're just about at it. In fact, we are out of time today. So, guys, is there anything else you want to close out before we close Give me 30 out? seconds to throw this up on the board there. That this is not instead of faith. This is, an, this is a submission of faith. Biblical faith repents. Biblical faith confesses Jesus, stands up for Jesus. Biblical faith submits to baptism. Biblical faith follows Jesus. Repentance is a decision of faith. Confessing Christ is a statement of faith. Baptism is a submission of faith. And walking and following him faithfully is a life of faith. A good note to close on right there. Everyone, thank you very much for your participation. Thank you from the audience for your comments and questions. And we look forward to seeing everyone next week, Tuesday at 2 p.m. Thanks, everybody.